Good morning. It is Monday, August 3rd, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. No guests today, but that doesn't mean we don't have plenty of news to get to. And if you want to, you could consider this episode as an appetizer of sorts for what's going to happen the rest of the week because we haven't heard the last of any of the things I'm about to talk about. I figured that today's episode would have to do with the Pac-12, considering the conference announced Friday its 10-game conference-only slate, adding six new games to the fold with a September 26th start date and a conference championship game set to take place at the home site of the winningest team rather than Las Vegas. The schedule is pretty good, and I like to see that the conference built the week one slate, such as UCLA versus USC, with postponements in mind, saying it can move around certain pods of games with plenty of flexibility, which is in a way what Major League Baseball is doing during its COVID-19 issues, though Major League Baseball did not plan on doing this. So good to see college football learning from baseball in a way. But I was right that we would be talking about the Pac-12 at extensive measures, but wrong about the subject matter. Instead, it's the news that over a hundred players in the conference have united to draft a letter to the conference with a list of requests and demands, or else they'll be opting out of the 2020 college football season. Using the We Are United hashtag on Twitter, the movement has gotten a ton of attention on Sunday, and the news broke on Sunday morning. We don't quite know the scope of who all is involved in full. We don't have a list of every single player involved, but we do know that all but three teams have player representatives who were part of the drafted letter as seen in the Players' Tribune with the published request. And as it's been this summer, the requests are a mix of coronavirus-related issues and a mix of racial injustice issues. Hang with me. I'm going to read out what they all are asking for. Health and safety protections, allowing the option to not play during the pandemic without losing your scholarship or your spot on the roster. Prohibit COVID-19 agreements that waive liability. And then mandatory safety standards, player-approved health and safety standards enforced by a third party uh, rather than you know the coach enforces it or whatnot. Uh, Act 2, protect all sports. Preserve all existing sports by eliminating excessive expenditures They want Larry Scott, the commissioner. They want the administrators and coaches to voluntarily and drastically reduce excessive pay. They want to end performance and academic bonuses for those coaches. And they want to end lavish facility expenditures and use some endowment funds to preserve all sports. Part three, end racial injustice in college sports and society, such as forming a civic engagement task force to address outstanding issues such as racial injustice in college sports and society. They want, in partnership with the Pac-12, to allot 2% of all conference revenue to go to aid for low-income black students, community initiatives, and development programs for college athletes on each campus. They also want to create a Pac-12 Black Athlete Summit um, with guaranteed representation of at least three athletes from every school. They want some economic freedom and equity here. They want guaranteed medical expense coverage. They want name, image, and likeness rights and representation. You know all about that. They want fair market pay. They want rights. They want freedoms. Listen to this. Distribute 50% of each sport's total conference revenue evenly among athletes in their respective sports. Six-year athletic scholarships, not four, 
to foster undergraduate and graduate degree completion. I think that one's pretty cool, but going to be tricky. Elimination of any policies or practices restricting or deterring freedom of speech. Ability of players to in any sport to transfer one time without punishment. Ability to complete eligibility after participating in a pro draft if you go undrafted. And they, of course, want due process rights. All right, so hope you're still there because there's a little bit to unpack here. It's, I think many of these are totally logical. COVID protections, safety standards, the entirety of the end racial injustice segment. Some of them would take more than one month or two months to put into place. So how does that work with uh, an opt-out looming? Guaranteed medical expense coverage, name, image, and likeness rights, that there's no reason that can't happen. And while we're on the subject of NIL, it's truly a shame that college football had not moved quick on this because had had it had it done so, it, I think NIL could have been the key that unlocks many of the closed doors that we're currently staring at as we attempt to get a football season off the ground. Just imagine if the players had the ability right now to make any amount of coin off their image. I think their appetite for going through what will be a massive inconvenience of a season would be higher. I'm not saying they don't want to play, but it is an inconvenience and they don't want to be exploited. And then on the other side, some of these demands just, they're not going to happen. All right, you can start with this. Distribute 50% of each sport's total conference revenue evenly among athletes in their respective sports. So think about this. For most schools, only football and basketball are making money. And those funds are used to fund the entirety of the athletics department, which is in part why we're scrambling to play football this season, because if we don't play football, everybody's worried about what's going to happen to athletic departments in their entirety. So personally, I don't know where the money would be for the tennis player to split the tennis revenue, because there is no tennis revenue Although I will admit and give them this point, it's probably true that world-class, and we'll use this tennis example, world-class tennis facilities and high coaching salaries for tennis or any program that's not going to be making money is probably unnecessary. And on those same lines, I can't see colleges tapping into their endowments or reducing salaries or facility expenditures across the board just to resurrect or maintain non-revenue sports, despite the best interests of, of these players. And I, I do think it's really cool that you have a bunch of football players looking out for soccer players, but asking Stanford to tap into its $27.7 billion endowment, which is in this letter for those purposes, is not happening. But that's how you negotiate. I can't say I'm very good at negotiating, but right, it's common practice, start high try to meet in the middle. And that's the takeaway most reasonable people have had on this subject so far, including star Washington cornerback Elijah Molden. Let me read out part of his tweet. Um, he, he made a, a notes app, pinned a notes app, and it says thoughts. He says it's exciting to be a part of a conference that is bold enough to challenge flawed institutions and fight to have the voices heard. And while I agree with most of the demands, there are a few that I cannot get on board with. My initial reaction was how some of the demands seem unrealistic and far-fetched 
given the context of our unique situation, COVID, financial restrictions, time, etc. But that is not the point. The point is us players need to have our voices heard. And he goes on and on. Trevor Lawrence, the star Clemson quarterback, quote tweeted that tweet with a message of support. So these are drastic measures. I think even some players, clearly even players who have teammates who drafted this letter, understand that not all of these demands are going to be met in time for the start of the college football season. So, you know, what, what, what does that mean for opting out uh, and all that? We saw something similar at the University of Texas a few months ago. You know, players threatened a boycott of sorts, listed all these demands, including the doing away with the fight song, The Eyes, the Eyes of Texas, which has racial beginnings. The Eyes of Texas is stained, but Texas announced uh, several new measures that it will it will take place to, or it will enact to satisfy those players' demands. And for the most part, those players were happy. So I, I think that's proof that they're probably not looking for 100% of these things to be met, but they, they do want to be heard. Let's see what happens. I can't say I'd be surprised if it happens at another conference. And before this spouted up, the leaking of a call between the SEC and its 14-member Student Athlete Leadership Council to the Washington Post was the biggest storyline among player welfare topics that weekend or this weekend. There is supposed to be a confidential free exchange. Um, the uh, players talking to the SEC officials about the season. One official told the players there are going to be outbreaks. We can't. We're going to have cases on every single team in the SEC. That's a given. We can't prevent it. Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, said part of our work, he said this on the call, part of our work is to bring as much certainty in the midst of this really strange time as we can so that you can play football in the most healthy way possible with the understanding there aren't any guarantees in life. My advice is you're going to have to live your life in this environment. And I think that's the challenge we're trying to meet, unquote. So that didn't go over too well that it was made public that that's what the SEC was telling its players. And again, I think NIL would have really done a lot to help everybody here. So Pac-12, several players, they're united in, in getting their requests met. It's worth noting, too, before I move on, that Oregon star left tackle Panay Sewell tweeted with that, with that hashtag and, and tweeted the letter of demand. So it appears you know, he's on board. Um, no further note from there too. There's also some, some rumblings that Washington state is kicking players off the team who tweeted this message. There's like some back and forth on Twitter as to whether that's legit or not. Uh, it, it does seem like there's a certain level of strife going on up there. Washington state is denying that it has removed anyone from their scholarship for, for making these statements on Twitter. But I saw the mother of a player said that her son you know, was asked to clear out his locker room. So we'll keep an eye on that this week. The College Football Daily will be right back. Okay, we're back. We got more news from the weekend. Sad news here. Louisiana assistant offensive line coach DJ Looney died on Saturday after suffering a heart attack during a team workout. Looney was only 31. He grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. He played at Mississippi State. He began his coaching career as a graduate assistant there at Mississippi State. He was also a GA at Georgia. 
He also coached at East Mississippi Community College, which is featured on Last Chance U. Now he's at Louis- now he w- was at Louisiana, where he was earning really high marks. In fact, he was on uh, our inaugural 30 under 30 in 2017, which is a rec- um, us recognizing the best up-and-coming coaches under the age of 30. So this is just really, really sad. And also, like a bizarre note, this is the third player from Mississippi State in the last decade, like the, from 2010 to 2019, who played in that time to die this year. The, the Already the third uh, former wide receiver to run near Wilson was shot and killed in January, and then former defensive lineman P.J. Jones, his body was found in Tupelo in, in February. Both of those guys were under the age of 30, so keep the Looney family in your thoughts this week. Next item, the longest tenured coach in football. Did you know it's Kirk Ferentz at Iowa? Yeah, he's still going to be the longest tenured coach in football too because he survived the two-month review of the culture in the Iowa Hawkeye football program. And the review did find bias and bullying. And as you know, strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle was pushed out in mid-June. Ferentz stayed around, stuck around, probably didn't have to could have said, I don't really want to do this review. I'm out. Um, especially as it looked like he might lose his team as far as locker room goes. But in an interview with the athletic Ferentz said he wanted to stay on rather than step down in part because he was looking forward to learning from the painful times. You have two choices. Really? Ferentz said, all right, I've done enough. I feel fulfilled. I've had enough of coaching. I've had a great experience. and I've loved every bit of it, but I'm going to get out. And that was a good time to step out or, Hey, that's not my plan. I want to keep doing this. I really enjoy what I do. Unquote. I still maintain that this is all the beginning of the end for Kirk Ferentz. And I would say the same thing for Mike Gundy at Oklahoma state. Mark your calendars. A scheduling decision from the big 12 is expected today following their board of governors meeting. It's still possible. The conference tries to play 12 games as it has previously desired, but it's more likely that the number falls around 10 or 11, which is more in line with its fellow pack or its fellow power five conferences. Either way, it seems like the big 12 is going to bake in non-conference opponents, unlike the sec and unlike the pack 12, and that they're going to try to kick things off earlier than those two leagues as well. Those two leagues have announced September 26th start dates. The Big 12 has two teams, Oklahoma and Kansas, slated to kick off August 29th. And if you remember, Oklahoma just moved that game up a week ago. So maybe Lincoln Riley already knew something that we don't know. Okay, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. Big one. It's going to be a big week in the world of college sports for a variety of reasons. So stay locked in here. Make sure you subscribed if you found us on that embed player on the website. Just hover over that subscribe button and you'll find the podcast on, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to our producer, Tony Levitt, for putting this thing together. I'm sure it was a, a tough one. Uh, I'm Trey Scott. We will see you on Tuesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.